The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. The Jeff Dean Show starts now. Good morning, Tucson, and welcome to the Jeff Dean Show. I am Jeff Dean here with you on this Monday morning, April the 18th, 2022. It is 7.02 on your Tucson morning. Welcome to ESPN Tucson. We are Tucson's only local morning sports talk show. So glad to be with you guys. Man, I I was on the air last Thursday, gave it a shot, and had a horrible coughing fit at the end of the show. And then Friday woke up and couldn't like like everything was just everything had just gone to hell in a handbasket again. So I'm thinking to myself, God, this is never going away. I'm never going to get better. And then I woke up Sunday morning and I was like, it's like you know, like the birds were singing and you could hear a choir chorus in the back and the sun was shining and everything was wonderful and I feel great and I'm really happy to be back with you guys here and hopefully, fingers crossed. We don't have any, like, wind or anything like that because apparently that's a problem for me. So so no more wind allowed uh, this allergy season, please and thank you. Uh, we have a, a, a loaded show for you today, tons and tons of stuff to talk about, specifically NBA playoffs as all of the Game 1s played over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. I'll give you my thoughts. We'll dive deep into the Phoenix Suns win. Obviously, they are the local team. They are the best team in the NBA They are the team that you can listen to right here on ESPN Tucson as your Tucson home of the best team in the NBA, the Phoenix Suns. And uh, the game was on our airwaves yesterday, and you'll hear the game again on Tuesday night right here on ESPN Tucson. If you can't uh, be watching it, you can tune in to ESPN Tucson and get all of your Suns action. Uh, So we'll have a deep dive into that, what I saw last night from the Phoenix Suns in their win over the New Orleans Pelicans. And then I'll have some observations and reactions from the other seven series that occurred over the weekend in the game one outcomes. Uh, A couple of surprising ones. One real hell of a game played in Boston. Um, And some attitudes flying. And you can definitely tell it's playoff basketball, man. Uh, The game in Boston felt like a closeout game, like in 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 a finals, like an Eastern Conference finals or something like that was... Uh, that was a that was a hell of a basketball game. That was that was one of the best one of the best first round games you'll ever see. Um, that was a really really good one, and there were some other really good really good performances as well. Um, and I'll have some. I've got I've got a plenty of thoughts to share with what I saw and uh, what I heard and, and things that I read about over the weekend in the uh, in the association. We've got some local news, of course, down in Tucson there on uh, on campus. As the spring sports are still in in full swing, uh, you know the uh, baseball teams and the softball teams kind of going in opposite directions right now. Um, we'll talk about that. The, a lot of pride right now on campus, specifically surrounding the men's tennis program. We will talk about that as well. And as always, we have NFL news and notes for you as I talk NFL every single day here on the Jeff Dean Show. That is my promise to you to talk the NFL every single morning. Uh, we'll give you some some news and notes. Like, and, and you know the 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 draft is coming up rapidly approaching. We'll have some draft news. We're going to talk with uh, Tyler Drake, our Cardinals insider, later on in the week to get his insight. As there have been a lot of visitors to the Arizona Cardinals uh, training facility 
this offseason. They have brought in uh, several rookies that they are going to be targeting with their first-round pick, and it, it, it's a it's a, a uh, I guess a, a mixed bag of guys that they've brought in. They've brought in defensive ends. They've brought back in secondary secondary guys. They've brought in running backs, wide receivers. They've talked to a lot of different guys, offensive linemen. Um, so we'll talk with uh, with Tyler Drake about that, get his thoughts as a Cardinals insider, of course, a guy who's dialed into the football team every single day, and uh, we'll talk with him later on in the week, get his thoughts on what the Cardinals may be thinking with their per- you know with their first round pick, and you know there are some still a, a lot of a lot of things left to settle before we get to the draft and on draft day itself could be interesting. Uh, there's also scheduled to be a uh, uh, a Suns game that day. If uh, if the if the series goes that long, the, the Suns are scheduled to play on that uh, on that Thursday as well. So uh, it's going to be a busy day. Uh, but we start with the Phoenix Suns as they dominate Game One over the New Orleans Pelicans, winning that game one ten ninety nine. And I know the the final score doesn't sound indicative of a blowout win, but it, that's essentially what it really was. Uh, the Suns open up an early lead. I mean, they were up 16 in the first quarter. You, you don't see that too often. Uh, it's it was really a dominant performance from the from the get go. Uh, Devin Booker starts the game off with a three point jump shot. He scores eight points in the first uh, four and a half minutes of the game. I think it was scores ten points in the quarter, and then the Suns just they just absolutely suffocated the New Orleans Pelicans defensively. I, they, their defense. When they when they dial in, when they follow the game, look. First of all, Monty Smith and his staff have they always seem to put together a, a tremendous game plan. Again, you've heard me talk about the Phoenix Suns and their their style of play, the the type of defense they run. And I'm not going to sit here and bore you with all of the X's and O's of it, but just know this: it is a very difficult scheme to execute. Um, but when done correctly, you get the results that you get when you're the Phoenix Suns. Uh, and you know, Monty Williams gets a lot of, you know, should get a lot of credit for installing that type of scheme and the way that he goes about the business of shutting down individual players completely. And they were able to do that with Brandon Ingram last night. You know, Ingram did score 18 points, but it took him 17 shots to get there. He was only one of two from beyond the arc. So a guy that averages over four three-point attempts a game only shot two of them. And that was in a game that they were trailing from the get-go. It wasn't like they were in the lead and cruising and trying to work the ball inside. They, the Phoenix Suns just just straight up took the shot away from him, uh, forced him to pass the ball out. In fact, he had four assists. He led the Pelicans in assists, which Brandon Ingram, uh, I'd be willing to bet that he led the led the team in assists fewer than five times this season. Uh, he just he's not he's not the assist guy. When the ball gets to him, he's their he's their primary scorer. So. The Phoenix Suns executed to perfection. In fact, they held New Orleans to their lowest half total of points in the season, 34 points in the first half, the fewest amount of points scored by the Pelicans in a in a half all year long. And then they kind of got complacent coming out of halftime, and the Pelicans turned it on, and, and New Orleans made a game of it. They scored 37 points in the third quarter after only scoring 34 in the first 24 minutes of the game. They turned around. You know they score 65 points in the second half, which is a uh, you know it's a really good number. But they still only got to 99, which is never going to be enough to beat the Phoenix Suns. You 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 have to score at least 100 points to even have a chance at beating the Phoenix Suns, and 99 is not going to get it done. So uh, the Phoenix Suns, I thought, were spectacular defensively when they were dialed in. Like once they 
once they had to get things done uh, and get stops, they were able to get them uh, practically at will. The Pelicans were able to get a, a couple of tough shots off and make some in the second half, specifically in the fourth quarter. Uh, but look, New Orleans, let's, I mean, let's call it like it is. They missed, according to NBA analytics, they missed 14 uncontested jump shots in that game, which <laughs> that's not a good number. And you expect that number to not repeat itself in game two. So the Suns are going to have to make some adjustments as well. It wasn't like the Suns were perfect. But here's what he, he, here's a silver lining to that. We expected this, right? They haven't really played a game in well, nine days. So there was quite a bit of, I don't even want to say rust. I just think it was, you know, just trying to get back into the flow. And Because Phoenix Suns practices, I mean, I, I don't think any NBA practices are for this, you know, for that matter. But Phoenix, specifically Phoenix Suns practices, just because I know firsthand, um, they, there's like no physicality in the practice at all. There's no... Nobody gets physical with anybody. I mean, the bigs will will hit the pads a little bit. Guys will put the you know put the uh, the the, you know, the tackling dummies, the tackling pads or whatever in front of them. They'll kind of blast them a little bit. But there's no. I mean, you're getting hit with a pillow. I mean, it's <laughs> literally what you're doing. So it's not like there's any kind of physical type of of basketball being played in those practices. And that's really all that they've had, um, you know, for the last week and a half now since they basically shut everything down and decided that, you know, they, obviously they don't need to play anymore once they wrapped up the number one seed. They got their 64th win of the season, and that was it. They didn't need to do anymore. So I kind of expected this kind of a thing from the Phoenix Suns. Um, it looked actually it looked like they came out with some physicality. Like in the first, first half, they were playing real physical. They had their hands all over uh, the New Orleans ball handlers. They were, uh, you know, causing some problems. They were able to slow the Pelicans down. Um, and Pels were able to, you know, to make some adjustments in the second half, coupled with the Phoenix Suns, a little bit of complacency. I mean, you're up, you know, uh, you know, 20 or whatever at some point in the first half. They kind of went into cruise control mode there. And, and Monty Williams did. He managed the minutes of several of the players there in the third and fourth quarters as well. I mean, DeAndre Ayton basically played the first three minutes of the third quarter and then didn't get in again until six and a half minutes left in the game. So, I mean, he was, you know, he was able to rest quite a bit when he played 30, 32 minutes in the entire game. So, um, you know, it was it was good to get, you know, that kind of a, a mid-game rest there. But that's kind of when the Pelicans went on their run. And then the Sun starters came back. They held the Pelicans to, I think, you, I, think I, I, was, I was counting as I was watching, they scored five points in the next eight possessions um, when, when DeAndre Ayton, Chris Paul, and uh, Mikel Bridges came back onto the floor. So that was, you know, that was obviously huge, and the Suns were able to go on their run there because, you know, raw runs begin with defense. The, I mean, let's let's talk about the star of the game. Uh, you know, Chris Paul was spectacular. He's nothing short of spectacular. I mean, he showed why he's one of the, not, one of, not only one of the best players in the league, but one of the five best point guards to ever play this game. And I mean that. I got this is not just this is not recent praise for Chris Paul. I, I've I've said this all along about Chris Paul for years and years. And you know the one knock on him was what he he couldn't win a playoff series. And you know maybe that was on him. Maybe it was you know part of you know part of the problem was the teams he was on. I mean or the franchise he was. He was with the Clippers forever. And it was just a losing franchise. I mean you know this. So I I've been praising Chris Paul 
from the get-go. I just, I've always thought that he was just a, a ridiculously good basketball player and kind of the quintessential point guard. Like, he's, he's the point guard that everyone – like, if you were to envision in your mind, you, you, you play the game of basketball, you're watching the game of basketball, you're like, okay, I want my point guard to be – uh, you know, a, a good shooter, but not overshoot the ball. You know, not you know, basically dominate, uh, dominate the ball shooting. But I want him to have great handles and be a great passer and and be a good team leader. And set up. I mean, he does all. He checks all those boxes. He's the he's the guy who who makes the entire offense run. Um, and he was spectacular last night. Thirty points, ten assists, seven rebounds, had three steals, had a block shot in the game, only two turnovers. Uh, for CP3, and uh, in 35 minutes, he was remarkable. 12 of 16 shooting from the field. It's it's like he couldn't miss. I'm sitting there watching the game, like he can't miss. Like everything, everything he puts up is going in. He's shooting deep threes. He's getting into the lane. He when he I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been. I think it might have been Larry Nance that had switched out on him. And this was in the fourth quarter. This was uh, about midway through the fourth. And it, it was kind of a close game. I think it was either 8 or 10. The Suns had an 8 or 10-point lead. Chris had just come back in the game. And I believe that, that Nance had switched onto him. And Chris Paul's out by the near the three-point line, and I'm like, this is going to be trouble for Larry Nance. And he kind of like stalled, stepped, Nance bit, and he just bolted right past him. And went in for the easy layup. Nobody was there to rotate on the backside for the Pelicans. That was a problem for them all game long. Uh, as soon as the as soon as they're out there, you know, their their wing defender got beat. There was nobody at home to uh, to handle the rim protection. The Suns scored fifty points in the paint last night, which is uh, you know you you, you want to see that obviously uh, for your team. But fifty points in the paint is is insane, especially with as good as the Suns were shooting from beyond the arc as well. But yeah, he put he he put poor Larry Nance on a on a yo-yo string there, and just whipped him like a dog, and it was a it was a masterful masterful performance by him. Devin Booker, he gets twenty five points as I mentioned. You know, he opened the game early, hits the three pointer to start the game. My friend won a bunch of money betting on him to be the first scorer of the game and hit a three pointer. It was it was pretty awesome. Um, and then and then he kind of went quiet for a little while. The the Pelicans did a nice job of bracketing him, uh, essentially not letting him move without the ball, which is what Devin Booker does so well. He's one of the most athletic players without the ball out there, which makes him so difficult to guard. He, I mean, he just he just flat out tires out the defender. That's Coaches and players have been saying that for the last couple, three years now when playing against the Phoenix Suns. It's just like, it's not bad enough that you have to guard a great shooter and scorer like Devin Booker, but you have to guard him for all 24 seconds of, of, a, of a possession because he just, he's constantly moving. He's constantly getting into position. He's, he is a nightmare to guard. And he played 41 minutes last night. The kid's got none, nothing but energy. But 25 points, he, he also dropped eight assists, uh, threw a couple of lobs to DeAndre Ayton, threw one to JaVale McGee. Uh, Devin Booker was, was a, a man on fire last night. Four of eight from beyond the arc. He looked great. Um, I got zero complaints about uh, about the way that Devin Booker played. Mikel Bridges, he was stellar defensively once again, also had no turnovers in the game. He scored 11 points, missed all of his all three of his three-point attempts. I'm not worried about that. Maybe shoot two next time. 
but hey, you know, whatever. It's if you're open, shoot the ball. And Mikel Bridges has made a lot of big shots for the Phoenix Suns this year and last year in the postseason. But we're going to talk about DeAndre Ayton because you know I tweeted out last night and I, I I said, look, I've been saying it for the last two years that he is the most underappreciated player in the NBA. When I say underappreciated, I mean by the fans and by the organization that he plays for. Obviously, underappreciated when everyone else who was drafted in the top 10 of his draft class got their money. They've already been paid. They've been given their second contract by the team that drafted them. DeAndre Ayton is the only one, the number one overall pick, is the only one who has yet to get his bag. Yet, a guy that was drafted later in that draft by his same team has already been paid. So, Yes, underappreciated. I saw people arguing on my Twitter thread about it. Oh, underappreciated by who? I don't know what you're talking about. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, the fact that he hasn't been paid yet, bro. <laughs> maybe maybe that's part of the reason why I'm saying that he's underappreciated. I also, <clears throat> I also think that he's underappreciated by the fans because I continue to see threads on Twitter. I hear people call into the radio stations. I have people hit me up on, you know, when I'm out and about. Oh, I think I think they should trade DeAndre Ayton. I know you're a U of A guy, but I think they should trade him. He's just soft. Blah, 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 blah. Be my guest. Let me let me tell you something. The Suns ain't here right now if it's not for DeAndre Ayton. They're not. Period. Twenty-one points last night. Yes, nine rebounds. Looks horrible in comparison to what. Valanciunas put up with 25 rebounds. Oh, by the way, it's the first 20-rebound game in Pell's history. So <laughs> let's not talk about this like it's an everyday occurrence here. This was the most offensive rebounds grabbed by a New Orleans Pelican in the history of their franchise, the, first, the, the most rebounds grabbed by an individual player in the history of their franchise. Oh, by the way, Valanciunas was also minus 11 in the plus-minus department on the, uh, on the, uh, uh, on the court. In his 31 minutes, he was 7 of 21 from the field. DeAndre Ayton blocked three of his shots, and Ayton scored on him several times. Now, people are like, well, the described 25 rebounds to, to 9, that's ridiculous. Okay, yeah, if you're looking at a box score, if that's all you read is the box score, yes, that is an insane, uh, an insanely tilted number in the favor of the other player, in the, fa- in the favor of the, the opposing center. Except when you actually, like, watch the games and you realize that DeAndre Ayton isn't even, isn't even around Valanciunas when the ball goes up a lot of the times because he's asked to step out on the wing to guard the ball. That's what DeAndre Ayton does. Like, in, in Monty's scheme, when, in this shell scheme, if you have an athletic big man – they have to go guard the ball. That's why JaVale McGee isn't out there guarding the ball. That's why things the defense looks totally different when McGee's in the game and Aiton's not. McGee's there to protect the rim and to battle with the opposing team's big, whomever that may be. Maybe it's a starter, maybe it's their backup big. Who knows? Whatever the case may be. But DeAndre Aiton is often 15 feet from the rim when the ball goes up. Yeah, of course he misses out on some rebounds. He's not even there. Read, read the quotes from the Phoenix Suns players from last night's game. Both Chris Paul and Devin Booker said, we, as guards, have to do a better job of rebounding. 
DeAndre's not going to always be matched up against the opposing team's center. We have to do a better job of boxing out their players when we're called on because of the rotations, because of the style of the defense, because of the scheme that they run. Just watch the damn games, folks. Look at what a nightmare it is to, to try to play against the Phoenix Suns defense when you have DeAndre Ayton, one of the most athletic centers in the league, at seven feet tall and as long and as strong and athletic as he is, going out there to pressure the ball. Forget about it. Look, we watched it this year as fans of the Arizona Wildcats, right? We got to see Christian Coloco out there guarding the perimeter. And we're like, man, what a masterful performance he put in this year defensively. Earned the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. Was one of the best defensive players in the entire country. Another underappreciated player nationally based on what he brought to this team. Being a top 10 defensive team in the country out of 355 schools. Arizona was the number 10 defensive team in the country this year. Defensive efficiency. A lot of that because Christian Coloco with his athleticism and his length out there able to pressure the ball leaving guards to rebound, guys like Ben Matherin and Dalen Terry. People praise Christian Coloco for doing what he does, but people want to ignore what DeAndre Ayton brings to this team. Listen to, listen to the experts. Listen to the coaches. Listen to the players. Listen to the former players. The guy, I mean, Charles Barkley last night was basically saying that, that I mean, well, he basically said what I just said. Without DeAndre Ayton, the Suns aren't even here. Like they're not they're not in this position without DeAndre Ayton. He is he he does so much for that team that people don't even understand. That cannot be quantified in a stupid box score. So people can continue to read the box scores and say, Oh, this guy had twenty twenty five rebounds, thirteen offensive rebounds, blah blah. How many of those did he convert into points? I mean, he had thirteen offensive rebounds and scored seven buckets. 23 offensive rebounds, right? No, 25, I'm sorry, 25 offensive rebounds for the New Orleans Pelicans. They had 22 second-chance points in the game. So they had fewer second-chance points than they had offensive rebounds. So, I mean, okay, sure. Rebounds are great. What did they do for you? I mean, all they did was basically keep the Suns from getting more fast-break points. I think they had 29 in the game, something like that, 29 fast-break points, I want to say. They were running all over the night, just running up and down the floor. So they had to they had to rebound like that. I mean that was you could tell that's what the Pelicans were trying to do from the get go. They're like, we gotta win the glass tonight. And they did. Congratulations to them. They won the glass by a lot, by twenty. Out rebound the Suns by twenty. That's what happens when you miss sixty five percent of your shots that you take. You're gonna get a lot of get a lot of chances at offensive rebounds. When the Suns shoot fifty four percent from the field, not a whole lot of chances to grab offensive rebounds. I think they had a few of them, but not many. Anyway, we'll continue to talk some Phoenix Suns basketball, obviously, as they, uh, as they go through this, uh, this postseason run. But uh, it's, I think it's, it's, it's fairly obvious that the Pelicans are completely outmatched in this series. They may get one in the, in, the, uh, in the series here. They may get one win in the series. If they go back to New Orleans, they may get the home crowd all jazzed up uh, for it, uh, you know, pun intended. Uh, but this is this is going to be a very lopsided series, and we saw that. And when the Suns are dialed in, they they're thirty points better than the Pelicans are. They just they just are. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, observations and reactions 
after all of the game ones were completed this weekend in the NBA. That's next right here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Well, it's almost as if I spoke it into existence. I was talking about Christian Coloco and what a great asset he was to Arizona basketball this year and how he deserved all the accolades he got and more and he literally <laughs> like as i was going to break posted on twitter uh an interview that he did with uh or well he didn't post on twitter this also got posted uh but with sham Sharanya that uh christian coloco has declared for the nba draft so good for you christian coloco uh we are all proud of you and the the strides that you took the strides you made as an Arizona Wildcat, I have I have said this. I've been very, very public with this. I think he's the most improved player in Arizona history since Channing Frye. I don't think we have seen the growth of a player from day one to the, to the last day that he was with the program. Um, Channing was – it was – I mean, I knew Channing in high – I knew Channing in junior high school. Um, to watch him grow – at Arizona was remarkable to turn into the player that he did. Christian Coloco easily on par with that. I mean, he he was, you know, when 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 the first time I saw him, I was like, man, this is uh, this is gonna be a long road for this young man. And he made that really long road a lot shorter because of his hard work, his dedication, and his skill. I mean, he is a very skilled basketball player, and he is gonna represent well in the NBA. He is a he's a good kid. He's smart. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's got good leadership around him, and he is going to make the best of this. So he and uh, Benedict Matherin now headed to the NBA. Now we just wait to hear what Dalen Terry is going to do. I mean, DT could decide to go ahead and jump to the NBA as well with his brothers. That would leave Tommy Lloyd with um, a lot of spots to fill this offseason. Thankfully, the uh, transfer portal is already about 800 deep with players so there's a lot of uh, a lot of guys you can go out there and get, but these are going to be very very difficult players to replace, um, just with the two that are that are going to be jumping to the NBA. Both of them are going to be into, uh, first round draft picks. I think, I believe that that Christian, he'll he probably received probably somewhere between a grade and and when I say grade, I, these are not official numbers. These are how I essentially. Uh, how I, you know, transfer, I, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. This is how I convey them to the listeners. Um, that he received a grade somewhere between 21 and 30. Basically saying that he would be, his grade was indicative of a player that would be drafted between the 21st overall pick and the 30th overall pick. I do believe that he will be a first round draft pick. Like, for instance, two years ago, Kofi Coburn, when people were talking about, oh, Kofi, you know, the next, you know, the next level and everything, he received a draft grade of like 48, like at the end, mid to the end of the second round. That's why he came back. I believe Christian Coloco will is he's going to get a grade somewhere in the early to mid 20s, maybe stretch to the 30s, just because when teams see him shoot, uh, I think you know maybe they say we we got some work to do on his jump shot here, but not a whole lot. I mean, I watched Christian in warmups and. Uh, Christian would work on his three-point game quite a bit, actually. And it has, again, uh, something that has improved. And, you know, he didn't take any in games. He took, I think he took one three-point shot uh, this year. And I 
you know, it's it's not something that was that was in his game, uh, but he showed that he's, he can be a great rim protector, and that's something that will, if you, if you can stay healthy, that is something that will translate through this league for a long, long, I mean, look how long of a career that JaVel McGee has had. I mean, JaVel is obviously an extremely athletic guy, and so is Christian Coloco, but uh, you know, being a rim protector, shot blocker, a guy who can go and grab rebounds, get up and play above the rim, they're always valuable in the NBA. So, Christian Coloco heading off to the NBA. Good for him. I I am 100% in full support. We will miss him next season without question. He will be missed next year, but wish him all the best. And that's what, you know, that's what we have to expect as Wildcat fans is that we're going to bring in players and they're going to leave for the NBA. This is not, you know, this is not the, the early 80s version of Arizona basketball. This is not how this thing works. I mean, it, to get a player to stick around as long as we have in certain situations has been impressive, in my opinion, in, in you know, in certain areas. You know, and, and credit Sean Miller with, with going and getting those types of guys. I mean, I'm going to give credit to Sean because he's the one that brought Christian Coloco here. He's the one that brought Benedict Matherin and Dalen Terry. He's, he brought them here. Um, and, you know, it was up to this coaching staff, obviously, to coach him up and take him all the way into the uh, into the tournament and as you know great as they did and the 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 dual championship in the Pac-12 and all the great accolades that occurred for this team in this season was a wonderful season but we as Arizona Wildcat basketball fans understand uh that these guys are leaving for the NBA at some point in time so it's uh it's time to celebrate Christian Coloco it's time to celebrate Benedict Matherin and Maybe whomever else decides to join them, but we'll see. Uh, we'll have to wait and see on that and see if uh, if Dale and Terry announces his uh, his intention to uh, to enter the NBA draft or not. I don't know what what kind of draft grade uh, DT would get or what he is what he's been uh, told from scouts and things like that. So um, hopefully get some information for you and have that uh, have that for you here on the on the show all right we're gonna take a time out that was just some up you know a, a little breaking news there so i wanted to uh make sure we got that out as quickly as possible so we'll take a break when we return we'll continue to talk nba observations and reactions from all the game ones over the weekend we'll talk about that next right here on the jeff dean show the jeff dean show on espn tucson is brought to you by desert diamond casinos desert diamond is true tucson Back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. All right, one more thing before I move on to the Phoenix Suns. You can continue to read the box scores, or you can continue to, you, you can do one or the other. You can, one of two things. You can either just read the box score and try to tell the story from that, or you can actually watch the games and or dig deeper to find the statistics that really matter, such as this one. In game one against the Pelicans, DeAndre Ayton contested 20 shots. The New Orleans Pelicans were 2 of 20 on those shot attempts. 2 of 20. So again, I, you know, continue to work your trades for Carl Anthony Towns, for DeAndre Ayton. Continue to talk about how he gets pushed around or how he's lazy, continue to talk about how uh, whatever, whatever narrative you're trying to spew at this point, I don't even know anymore. And I'm probably preaching to the wrong crowd. Like I'm probably talking to the wrong people right now is is the problem. Like if I were, if I were speaking to the, you know, a, a bunch of listeners in Phoenix or nationally, I think I'd be speaking to a lot more people who need to hear these kinds of things. I think Wildcat fans, 
first of all, are going to give DeAndre Ayton a little more grace. Second of all, and I'm just being honest here, I think Wildcat fans understand basketball better. I mean, just legitimately. And I'm not saying that to, like, puff smoke or anything. Like, like I, you know, <laughs> trust me, I give Wildcat fans plenty of guff. The one thing I will never do is disrespect the Wildcat fans' knowledge of basketball. The, our fans know basketball. You guys understand the game. You, you see things that not everybody else sees. You, because you've been able to watch a slew of NBA players every single year in Tucson, the McHill Center. It's, it's, it's different. And there's been remarkably good coaches here over the years as well. So I think Arizona fans, I think they understand basketball better, period, end of story. I just, I just really do. Certainly better than fans up here do. <laughs> what basketball? What's well, we don't have basketball. Mm-hmm. You don't have any football coaches either. Good luck with that. All right, let's take a look at some of the game ones. Just I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it here. Just want to give my thoughts. Uh, I I did I do have the Nets winning the series against the Celtics. I just think that Kevin Durant's the best player in that series. One of the best players in the league, obviously. I just feel like the dagger is coming at some point. Like, he's going to deliver the dagger that sends the Boston Celtics home at some point in this series. That'll be it. And he had a chance to to sink that dagger in last night, or yesterday, I should say, in one of the most epic game one, round one, ep- game one games you'll ever see in your entire life in any sport. That, that game was ridiculously good. Um, but, you know, Looking, just watching it. First of all, everybody was just ball watching Kyrie. Eighteen points in the fourth quarter. He was a man on fire uh, in the in the fourth quarter. Of that game completely took over the fourth quarter. But when it mattered in that final possession, everybody just ball watching. The four Nets players just standing around watching Kyrie dribble the ball around, trying to find his shot. Nobody moved. Everybody was glued to the floor. And Durant not moving with the ball, just kind of standing there beyond the three point line. He's like. Meh. I'm just going to let the Kyrie's going to take it over. I don't know if that's indicative of the, the the direction of the offense from Steve Nash. I don't know if that was just players just being like, well, he's not going to pass us the ball, so we might as well just stand here. Or if it was just straight-up complacency or, or not knowing what to do. It was a weird sequence regardless. Uh, he throws Durant the ball with like four seconds left on the shot clock. Durant has to scramble and throw a ball up in the air that almost goes in. And then the Celtics get the final possession, and we get the finish that we had there with the whirling dervish, Jason Tatum, spinning his way to a buzzer beater with about three-tenths left on the game clock as the ball goes through the net, and the Celtics upset. I shouldn't say upset. The Celtics beat the Nets uh, 115-114 to 114 in that game last night and yesterday. yesterday. That, was, that was a remarkable game, fun finish. Uh, Kyrie... Look, Boston fans are they are incorrigible. Like they're just Boston fans are pains in the ass. They really are. Like is Philly fans, Boston Boston fans, I still think they're worse. People say, "Oh, Philly fans, no, I I don't think so, man. I think Boston fans are the worst. They were all over Kyrie and you knew they would be, obviously. But Kyrie has been you know, very visibly, very notably vocal with fans. He's someone that engages with the fans, and you knew those Celtics fans were going to yap it up with him, and he was giving it right back to him, 
and he's flipping them off as he's walking off the court, and he sees somebody in the tunnel. They say, Kyrie, you suck. And he said, you know, basically I'll tell you what you can, you know. It, it was very typical Kyrie uh, in, in that situation. Like he's a great player. His head will, will never be right, which is why he'll never be – I just – I don't see him winning multiple championships because he, he just his mind isn't focused on the game. It's focused on so many other things like flat earth and uh, vaccinations. And, I mean, he's got so many other things going on in that, you know, in that dome of his. If he just focused on the damn game, he'd be the best player. You watch him play, you're like, there's not many people that can do – the things that Kyrie Irving does, has the skill set. I mean, very few people in the history of this earth have had that kind of skill set. So the uh, the Celtics take game one in remarkable fashion. In another Eastern Conference game, Trey Young basically misses everything, giving game one to the Heat. Not that that I think the Hawks are going to be any real threat to the Miami Heat, but when you have a player like a Trey Young, you've always got a, a puncher's chance to win a game or two, but... He was one of 12 from the field, had six turnovers, and was just completely awful. Like, I mean, just 100% awful. Uh, let's call it 90, 92% awful because he did make 8% of his shots. So Trey Young, just really, really bad as the Heat blow out the, the, uh, the Hawks, 115-91. to 91. The, uh, the Bucks and the Bulls game, that was an unexpected – well, the final score was unexpected. That was – you know the, the Bucks had done nothing but score like 130 points a game for the last three months of the season. Then they play a playoff game against the Bulls, and it's 93 to 86, and it's teams are grinding it out, and the two teams combined to score 34 points in the fourth quarter, and that was a grind, man. The Bulls really kind of just you know they they did what they needed to do to try to get into a, a you know a fight with the Milwaukee Bucks, and that's what you have to do. They know that they can't match them skill for skill. They're going to have to, you know, fight and claw, scratch with them, and that's what they did. So props to the Bulls. That series probably won't last too long. Milwaukee's just so much better, and Giannis is ridiculously good. But that was an ugly game. I do have the Raptors upsetting the 76ers in that series. Uh, thankfully for, uh, for all of you, uh, you know, you probably don't have that because Philadelphia made mincemeat of the Toronto Raptors, 131-111. to Tyrese Maxey scores a career-high 38 points. James Harden, what do you have, 17 assists or something like that in the game? Like He was, he was dishing it out. Uh, Joel Embiid was his you know, usual really good self uh, offensively and stuff. And now the Raptors are going to be without Gary Trent Jr. They're going to be without Scotty Barnes. They're going to be without Thaddeus Young in game two because – uh, Trent, uh, he you know he, uh, he's got a, he's sick right is a non COVID illness I guess is what they're calling it. Scotty Barnes got stepped on by Joel Embiid in the fourth quarter of that game, hurt his ankle, and Thaddeus Young really hurt his ankle in the in the second quarter of that game. I don't know if he's going to be back at all this series. Like he got a real bad sprain uh, from what I gathered. So they're playing shorthanded. I know everybody's talking about Matisse Thybul not being able to play when they go up to Toronto and all this other stuff, and it does give Toronto an advantage because Matisse Thybul is not fully vaccinated. Matisse Thybul doesn't make a difference when the Philadelphia 76ers are scoring 131 points a game. That's just not (laughs) – no no one cares about Matisse Thybul if you put a buck 31 on the board. Uh, The Minnesota Timberwolves surprise the Memphis Grizzlies, punch them in the mouth, 
and hang a buck thirty on the Grizz in a you know a, a basically a series of two really young teams who are gritty and tough. And that game was that was a fun game to watch. Actually, um, there was some there was some rough and tumble play in that one. That one's going to get real physical. There's going to be some there's going to be some blood in that series. I guarantee you. And then the Warriors dig deep, come back for a dominant win against the uh, the Nuggets. Just shows you why Steve Kerr is one of the best coaches in the NBA. And look, the, the the difference between watching what Steve Kerr does with the Nug or with the with the Warriors and what Steve Nash does with the Nets is is like night and day. Just and I'm just I'm you know I'm just looking at those two because. Those two were in a similar situations um, and had the ability to change things in the way that the outcome of the game, one of them neglected to call a timeout to get his team settled to get a good offensive play. The other one tinkered with the lineup and was able to make a, you know, a, a seven-point deficit into a 20-point win. So Steve Kerr gets a lot of credit for that. Uh, I thought that win was all on Steve Kerr. I thought he was spectacular in game planning against the Nuggets. And the Mavericks fight, claw, scratch, but they don't have quite enough offense without Luka. They were 9 of 32 from beyond the arc in their loss to the Utah Jazz. That game, uh, game two, is uh, set for tonight. All those games are set for tonight, those four games that I just mentioned. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When I return, we'll continue to talk some association and the NBA playoffs, what to expect tonight. That's next here on the Jeff Dean Show. The Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson is brought to you by Desert Diamond Casinos. Desert Diamond is true Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. All right, so three games on the docket for tonight. Raptors at Sixers game two. I like the Sixers big in that game. There's just... Too many holes to fill for the for the Toronto Raptors. Nick Nurse, uh, as good a coach as he is, uh, losing those three players, Trent Barnes and Young, not going to be easy against the uh, the star studded uh, Philadelphia 76ers, Especially if they get points like that out of Tobias Harris and, and Tyrese Maxey, they're they're near unbeatable in the Eastern Conference if they get that kind of influence from those players. Uh, also, that's a game you can hear right here on. ESPN Tucson, immediately following Spears and Ali this afternoon, you'll be able to uh, catch up with uh, probably the fourth quarter of that Raptors and Sixers game. That's, you know, when the when basketball matters most is in the fourth quarter, so you can tune into that here uh, immediately following Spears and Ali. Another game on the docket for tonight, the Utah Jazz at the Dallas Mavericks. The Mavericks are going to be without Luka Doncic once again, so I expect their offensive woes to continue. If you don't have a guy like Luka out there, you're going to struggle. Now, defensively, I thought the Mavericks played really well, and I think, you know, guys like, honestly, like guys like Josh Green have to step up. And Jeff Van Gundy, I thought, did a great job on the uh, on the broadcast on that particular game talking about Josh Green. You know, Josh Green was being left open for a reason because they don't respect his jump shot, and Josh Green is going to have to take it upon himself to not hesitate when he gets those opportunities, just Rise and fire. I mean, that's uh, that's what you got to do. You're a baller. That's Josh Green. That's his job. Uh, so he's going to be better uh, from beyond the arc. He's going to be left open. They're going to let him shoot. So make the most of your opportunity, young man. Go out there and make us proud. And then uh, the night game tonight, Denver Nuggets at the Golden State Warriors. Warriors with a one-game lead on that. Uh, the, the Nuggets are still waiting to be the complete team. You know, without Michael Porter, 
without Jamal Murray, they just they're just not <laughs> they're not the same team. That Nuggets team with those two players is damn scary. Without them, they're just Nikola Jokic, Aaron Gordon, and a bunch of guys, and that's basically it. So uh, I think the Warriors will take tonight's game. They'll take the series. I just If it goes back to Denver, Den- the Nuggets may win one just because the Warriors are still trying to figure out their rotations a little bit with the reintroduction of Draymond into the lineup. Steph Curry didn't even get the start last night. He had to come off the bench, but finished the game in the fourth quarter, getting his rhythm going, Clay Thompson. You know, and you got Jordan Poole, who's a nice, man, really nice, uh, you know, second half of the season. Real good young player there. They've turned him into a, uh, into a young star. So looking forward to those games tonight. And, of course, you can listen to the, uh, the Raptors and Sixers joined in progress immediately following Spears and Ali. Still a lot more to come in hour number two. We'll talk some Arizona Wildcats sports, baseball, softball, tennis, maybe even get to some uh, some football in there, maybe some basketball as well, and plenty of NFL news and notes to discuss, as well as other things going on in the world of sports all across the country as we get ready for a big week of sports leading up to some other big events coming up like the NFL draft and such. So stay tuned. It's just a quick little two-minute turnaround here to hour number two on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Casino Del Sol Studio, the soul of Tucson. This is ESPN Tucson. KFFN Tucson. KWCX Tank of Verde. KMXZ HD4 Tucson.